Good morning, everybody. If I can uh, get you to go ahead and come in the room and find your seat, I've got a few announcements to pass your way. Um, first is, if you're one of our guests, we're glad that you're with us this morning. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. Um, and uh, we have lots of things coming up between now and the end of the year. So if you're a note taker, get ready. Ready? Y'all aren't taking notes. Nobody's ready that fast. Nobody's face even, like your face illuminates when you turn your phone on and you look at it. Nobody even did that. This next week, on the 19th, we have game night up here at the church. And I think we've said before, this is a time um, of fun and it gets salty. So if you're, if you're into high intensity games, that's what I, I've never gone, but I know the crowd that does go, and it does, and so so salty so salty makes sense to me with knowing who who's a part of it. Nineteenth up here at the church, um, the next day Saturday on the twentieth is a women's event called Encourage Her, and that's at Debbie Call's house. And then next Sunday the twenty-first, our friends uh, from Jews for Jesus, Bob. Uh, Mendelssohn is going to be with us, um, so prepare for that. And then also the 21st, right after church, is when the the uh, the big transition between Thanksgiving and Christmas decorations at the church is going to happen. So if you can hang around after the service on the 21st to help with that, um, there's a big elaborate plan that I understand is in place. This is what Jenny says, to get everything down, put it up immediately, and then we're done. So nobody has to spend time figuring things out. So if you can stay for that, we would appreciate it. And then finally, this past week, um, we had Veterans Day. And if you are one of our veterans, we want to say thank you. Um, we are very grateful for you and the service that you have given um, for people that you love. And one of the things that we have been able to do here at CBC is our women's ministry through the Hearts to Serve event has prepared a gift for you. Um, so if you're one of our, our, our uh, saints here that have served, um, we thank you. And please, after the service, the table is directly out of those doors. So please stop there and allow those ladies to bless you with a gift. That's all I have. This week we have a guest worship leader, and Dave's going to actually talk about him. He's a guest, um, but I think many of you know him, and I'm grateful um, for Jason and Kayla and their time here. Thank you guys for coming to be with us and to lead. We're glad you're here. <laughs> so Chris has graciously offered to have Jason and Kayla uh, lead us in worship this morning. They uh, led us in worship. Uh, you guys left about five years ago. So when we were in all those interim times, uh, I went and met with them in Kingwood and uh, secured a three-month commitment. And uh, they ended up staying about two and a half years with us. And we're very thankful for their ministry. I wanted to let you know what they are doing uh, currently. They are currently in full-time ministry. And uh, they will have cards available if you would like to partner with them in prayer or even give uh, financially. But tell us quickly what you're doing in the uh, full-time ministry. You might need to move up here to the, to the mic. Okay, first off, thank you um, and love you guys. It's great to be here. Um, you hold a special place in our hearts, for sure. Um, the relationship that we have with you, we think about you all the time. But uh, as far as what we are doing now, um, we are essentially trying to bring a very tangible expression of the love of Christ into people that have experienced brokenness in profound ways, whether it's 
inner city, um, those uh, on the streets, addicts, homeless, whatever. Brokenness is a very real thing, and uh, we want to be the love of Christ to them. And so music is a way in which we are able to sometimes meet them where they are, uh, but it really has to do with that sort of being the undergirding thing, is that we want to meet them where they are. There's a lot of folks that, unfortunately, they're just not going to come here. They're not. Uh, whether they've been hurt, whether they, uh, for whatever the reason, their circumstances don't allow them or permit them. So we, like Christ, want to simply go. And so we are. We're going. And we spent three months um, this past summer on the road engaging with the disenfranchised in so many beautiful ways. And to see them come into an understanding of the love of God is profound. So... Yeah, that's what we're doing full time. That's fantastic. And uh, so you had a tour in the summer. You got a tour in the Midwest coming up in January. And so what is that like? Are you just going from one stadium to the next? Basically. Basically, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yes, Midwest. Um, I guess you could say Midwest coming up in January. Northwest in March. And it takes on several different forms. It really does. One of three, I would say. Uh, we have... An outlet which is in reach, you know, it's, it's the church, it's the, it's the bride of Christ coming together for the sake of encouragement and edification. And it looks like worship, it looks like prayer, it looks like bringing songs that inspire in this community of love. Um, but it also looks like being actually on the street, you know, whether we're just hanging around in a park or um, down at the mission or somewhere just making ourselves available through the ministry of presence. And then in those moments, it's amazing what God does as he brings folks to you that are simply just desperate. And we can use a song, we can, or we can use a hug, something like that. But yeah, it's, uh, and the third is the typical more um, artistic outlet, whether it be house shows or venues where we're actually playing original material and engaging in more of an entertaining kind of a fashion. So. That's great. And uh, Spradley is a family, so Beige and Avia join you on stage and play their instruments and, and sing with you. That is fantastic. What I'm excited about is uh, the Lord's been tugging at their hearts for years, and uh, you've had this vision of reaching people that won't darken the door of a church for a long time. Long time. A lot of your songs are written with spiritual themes but not blatant so that you can generate conversations and then yeah. uh, be able to talk to them afterwards. So it's really exciting to us to uh, see this going on. Thanks, so Dave. I've asked Jason and Kayla to uh, stay up front after the service. If you would like to come give them a hug or come find out more about their ministry, you can also get on their uh, email list for prayer and things like that. And I'm going to pray for them now, and, and then they'll start leading us in uh, worship through song. So if you would join us in, in praying for them mm -hmm. as well, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for uh, this day, and we thank you that we can celebrate our veterans. We, we are thankful for their service, Lord, and for the men and women, uh, specifically in our body, that have sacrificed uh, time and energy and years and uh, physical uh, stature to be able to uh, create and preserve the freedoms that we were allowed here, and we give you thanks for that. We thank you for Jason and Kayla and for the gifting you've given them. Thank you for uh, not letting go of their hearts and for their response to you. And so we ask that you would continue to use them in powerful ways, to touch people one life at a time with your love and grace and the gospel. And we pray that you would continue to use them, continue to provide for them, 
and protect their family as they uh, travel back and forth. And we thank you for the privilege of gathering in your presence to praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Love you guys. Thanks, Steve. You guys ready to worship? Please stand. say this, if you find yourself in that place of uh, being weary, the love of God is rich, it's profound, it's relentless, he's pursuing you, he's calling you. So I'm going to encourage you, recognize his love, recognize the goodness of the creator that we've been made aware of through the cross, through Jesus and his blood. He invites us all, come and know 
Come and know, taste and see that it's good. His love is good. So be encouraged. Have hope. Smile, sing, rejoice, for the Lord is good. Let it be known 
in our communities, in our homes, that God is good. He is love. Heaven come down is Jesus Christ in you and me. It's us living out the kingdom of God. And I pray that it's so in your life, in your heart, and in your mind that we are made new. We are no longer what we were. We are no longer bound in slavery to the things of this world. We are no longer in bondage, you guys. But we've been set free. We've been set free in Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you and me and us, those of us that are professing Jesus Christ as our Lord, is that the world around us would see and know. They would see our ways. They would see the way that we live, the way that we love. And they would know that he is good. I'm 
Father, you are our hope. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father, but through you and you alone. May it be true of us that we are yours, that we are yours, wholly surrendered, wholly surrendered to you, to your kingdom, for your glory. Speak to us now. Father, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you more and live in faith and obedience to the invitation that you have set before us. And again, may your name receive all glory, honor, and praise. And it's by the authority and the power of Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Beautiful children, you may go to Sunshine Kids Club. Human beings have been concerned about the fate of the earth since the beginning of time. Whether they've researched it or thought about it or questioned it, they have been concerned about what's gonna happen to the world, or at least to civilization. Well, back in 1947, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists started the Doomsday Clock. And their goal was to look around the world and let people have a warning as to how close we were to destruction. They meet twice a year to reset the clock. And when they gather, they research world events. They look at the instability of nations. They look at new technologies. They look at terrorism. They just look at everything that's going on. And their main concern is, what are we doing in this world that we're going to end up destroying ourselves with? And, and then they set the clock. And so sometimes they set the minute hand away from midnight. Sometimes they move it closer. The furthest it's ever been away from midnight was 17 minutes They started at seven minutes in 1947. The closest was uh, last year in 2020 when they moved it to within 100 seconds of midnight. Their concern is survival. And so they put out this warning and they are disturbed enough that they think if people don't heed the warning and get involved with their governments to make changes, to take preventative measures, then we are doomed. And it's not long till destruction of the world around us. That's the doomsday clock. The, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists concerned with other human beings around the world about the fate of the earth. Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we get more words on the fate of the earth, but it's from God's viewpoint. 
And so God tells us a little bit about what's going on. We are in a sermon series called Practically Speaking, going through the book of First Thessalonians. Last week, we were in First Thessalonians 4. And we looked at the rapture. This was a, a mystery, something that wasn't presented in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New. And then in chapter 5, as we step into the next chapter, Paul relates to us. He turns our attention to the day of the Lord, something that the prophets had spoken about in the Old Testament, something that was known biblically. And he's going to speak to us directly about it. And essentially, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 11, answers the question, how should we then live in light of the day of the Lord? How should we then live in light of the day of the Lord? This, this time is coming that God has in his plan, and how should we live in light of that? Practically speaking, when the gospel takes root, we walk in the light. Practically speaking, when the gospel takes root, we walk in the light. So that's where we're going with this. That's where Paul is going to lead us. He's got four movements here. He's going to inform us about the day of the Lord or remind us about the day of the Lord. He's going to speak to us about our position in Christ. What's our identity? And he's going to remind us and challenge us and exhort us to live out of that identity in Christ. And then finally, he's going to tell us, hey, don't do it alone. Strengthen each other. Do it together. Build each other up as you go out as a force into the world. Because here's the bottom line. Chapter 4, the rapture comes, and whether we are alive and translated into our glorified bodies as we meet Christ in the air, or we have died and gone uh, into the earth, and our soul has gone to be with Jesus, and he raises us and, and gives us a glorified body, we are not going to be part of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is going to come after the rapture. So we're not going to be a part of that. But how do we live in light of the fact that God's judgment, the day of the Lord is coming? So I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 11. We'll look at verses 1 to 3 first. And here's the key in verses 1 to 3. The people of light, that's us, know God's plan. As I said, the prophets had mentioned the day of the Lord close to 130 times throughout the Old Testament. So this is something that the rabbis, at least in the synagogues, would have covered with Jewish God-fearers. Not necessarily saying everybody in Thessalonica knew that, but we do know that Paul taught them quite a bit. And in this letter back to them from Corinth, based on Timothy's visit, is probably referring to things he taught. So he probably taught on the day of the Lord. People of the light know God's plan. Fortunately, God doesn't leave us in the dark. Now, Gwen and I were in the dark on the birth of our third child. It was one of those situations where we weren't exactly on the same page. I wanted to know the gender of this third child, and Gwen did not. But uh, she caved, and uh, out of great love for me, and said, okay, so we got the sonogram done, and the sonogram text says, 99% certain this is going to be another girl. And we're like, super, this is exciting. So we went, and we planned, and we chose names for this girl, and we discussed them, and we couldn't wait to meet this little beauty to come. So we get to the point of delivery, and, um, and we've got 
this girl's name is picked out. And I don't know if y'all are like this, but my wife likes to see the child first. So we usually have two or three names because it has to look like that name. I don't know if y'all are that perceptive or not, but that's how we roll. So the delivery comes and uh, the delivery nurse says to my wife, why is your husband laughing? I was laughing because that third child was not a girl. It was a boy. And having a boy did not diminish our joy at all, but we didn't have a name for a boy. So we had to go home and start working on names for a boy. And, and we did that, and that was exciting. And, and we basically figured that we both won, you know? I knew what the gender was. Gwen got a surprise. So we, we both won in, in, in that part. But we had been in the dark. Well, fortunately, when it comes to God's plan of redemption, when it comes even to end times things, we're not in the dark. We know God's plan. Now, as I said last week, and as we see throughout Scripture, we don't always know the exact timing. We don't know when things are going to happen exactly, but we do know the plan, and that influences how we choose to live today and how we respond to Jesus Christ. God's revealed his plan through his word. He doesn't need sonogram text. He doesn't even need the farmer's almanac. He just gives us his truth from his word. So let's look at verses one and the first part of two here. And we see how Paul moves to this new topic. He says this, now as to the times and the epochs or the seasons, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you for you, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come. The opening words indicate a new topic, but now, now concerning, now. He's moved on from the rapture to the day of the Lord. The rapture was a mystery. The day of the Lord was a topic that was well known throughout the Old Testament. And the day of the Lord always referred to a point in time when God would intervene dramatically and definitively in the affairs of humanity. And so we could say this will probably be the, the, the time when God intervenes in the world even more dramatically and definitively than he did, or at least since the time when Christ walked this world, walked this earth. And that's what the day of the Lord is. It's God's intervention. It's going to take place after the rapture of the church. Now, the day of the Lord includes three major events. We're going to put a, a chart up here to, to make my seminary professors really happy. So as I taught last week, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. The cross started the church age there at Pentecost. And then the next event is the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4. Following that comes the tribulation, Jesus' second coming, and the millennium. And those three events refer to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord can actually refer to any one of those three events, the tribulation, the second coming, or the millennium. It also refers to all three together, God intervening in the affairs of humanity. Tribulation, time of judgment. Basically, Revelation 6 to 19, where God pours out his wrath on the earth. 
Then the second coming, Christ comes and defeats the armies of the world, and then he sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. So that gives us a, a visual of the three major events of the day of the Lord. And what Paul is going to say is he, he's going to give us three characteristics about the day of the Lord in, in verses 2 and 3. And this is what he says, that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. The first characteristic is that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. It will come like a thief in the night. That phrase makes us think about thieves. They don't put a door hanger on your door and say next Tuesday between two and four in the morning, I'll be there. No, they just show up unexpectedly. They may even case your home for a while to try and figure out when you're not around, but they're going to come unexpectedly. Paul is saying this day of the Lord is going to come unexpectedly. It's going to follow the rapture, but it's going to come unexpectedly. The second characteristic that he gives us is that people will be unprepared for destruction. The way he puts it is that they will be deluded with safety peace and safety. They will feel comfortable. They will think everything is taken care of, that, that the doomsday clock has been moved back to 30 minutes. There's no concern here. And I take this to be Daniel 9, 27, this peace treaty that will be signed at the beginning of the tribulation, that worldwide there will be this sense of peace and comfort. And then people unprepared unexpectedly the day of the Lord will begin. And the third characteristic is that it is a time of destruction. It's a time when everybody is saying everything is fine. And there will be no escape from the destruction. No escape from the judgment. When God's fury is unleashed on the earth, there will be no place to hide. And so the comparison there to the woman with labor pains is that this is going to be a sudden time, an intense time, a painful time. And just like the woman goes through to delivery, it's going to go through until God is done. There is no escape to this time. So it's a very dark time of judgment. It's not fun to preach about things like this. By God's grace, all who place their faith in Jesus Christ will be gone at this time. We will be with Christ, meet him in the air, and be with him forever. But those that remain will experience the judgment of God upon the earth, his wrath. Unless they take the way of escape through the gospel. And so if you're here today and, and, and not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I would exhort you, I would invite you to give your life to Christ, to acknowledge that there's nothing you can do to heal yourself, to fix your brokenness, to overcome the sin in your life. And scripture tells us there's a penalty for that sin that has to do with death and eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And the great news is that not only did he die for you in your place, but that you can receive the free gift of salvation, the free gift of eternal life. You simply believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins in your place, was buried and rose again from the dead. You are believing that what he did, his work is sufficient for you. And your sins are forgiven. And he removes the guilt and the shame that comes with sin. He gives you the free gift of eternal life. He enters your life to lead you. That is the way to escape the coming day of the Lord, the coming day of judgment. People that are here will not escape that judgment. Those are the three characteristics that Paul gives us. When the gospel has taken root in the followers of Jesus, then they are gone for this time of judgment known as the tribulation. In the rest of this passage, verses 4 through 11, Paul is going to speak to the believers in Thessalonica, to the believers here, the followers of Jesus, those who have trusted Jesus as Savior. And he's going to let us know how to live in light of this day of the Lord, this coming judgment. So he's going to talk about our position and our practice and how we promote one another in serving Jesus Christ. So let's look at verses four and five, our position in Christ. People of the light know their identity. People of the light know their position in Christ and understand the safety and the security and the significance that that brings, that we are adequate to serve him freely because we don't have to look to the things of this world. People of the light know their identity. Now, Las Vegas has an identity as the city of lights. And a British firm did some research and they found out that there are over 12 million lights on at all times in the city of Las Vegas. It's called the city of lights. That's its identity. It takes $485 million a year to keep those lights running. They are known as the entertainment capital of the world. And so they're neon lights, they're LEDs, they even have a xenon light going into space. They're marquees and they're billboards, everything there lights up. There are more lights per square mile in Las Vegas than anywhere else on this planet. It is the city of lights. Las Vegas is bright, but the light is artificial. Satan sells the lie that you can come here and you can enjoy all the excesses you want in your life and satisfy all your cravings. And it's an artificial light. It, it, it does nothing for you. In fact, it actually increases your sense of brokenness when you go there for healing and for help or just to have a wild time. Vegas is a city of darkness. It's also been identified as sin city, a city that leads to greater brokenness. Well, Jesus Christ, we're told in John 8, is the light of the world. We're told in 1 John 1 that God is light. And his light brings hope and it brings healing. His light guides us. His light is what saves us from sin and wickedness and brokenness when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. His light delivers us from the penalty of sin. 
because of Jesus' work on the cross that we just talked about. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then our identity is in him. It's no longer in our own career, our own positions of authority or not. It's not in how much money we have or how much money we make. It's not on how many followers we have on social media. Our identity is in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants to remind us of that, that we are sons of the light and, and children of the day, daughters of the day, if you would. This is how Paul puts it in verses four and five. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you, the day of the Lord, like a thief. For you all are sin, sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Light and darkness symbolize the two great divisions of the human race. You are either in the light or you are in the darkness. Light and dark, the two divisions of the human race. Those who are not yet believers in Jesus Christ are in darkness. And those who have placed their faith in Christ are in light. That's how Paul divides it right here. And he's letting us know that that is our identity. And the coming of Christ will clearly reveal those two divisions when he returns for his own. Notice how Paul switched from speaking of unbelievers in the day of the Lord, verses 1 and 2 and 3, to believers here. He says, but you, brethren, will escape the wrath of God in the day of the Lord. He starts with, but you. Our identity is in Christ. We are not of the dark, but of the light. We are not of the night, but of the day. We will be able to celebrate because we will be taken with Christ, either alive and translated at the rapture or raised from the dead at the rapture to be with him. Our identity is in the light. And so Paul, having, having reminded us that that's our identity, is now going to exhort us and, and challenge us to live out of that identity to practice the position that we possess in Jesus Christ. This is how he does in verses six to eight. People of the light walk worthy of Jesus. People of the light walk worthy. We must walk in the light as he is in the light. His light is the sphere of our existence. Basically, it just means living godly lives in the presence of our Lord, choosing to respond to him in, in loving obedience, choosing to fellowship with him, keeping short accounts on sin. In the first chapter, Paul referred to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ and how it worked out in the lives of those who trusted Christ. He called them saints or saved ones in, in verse 1. He called them loved of God. He said, the gospel came to you with power and with conviction. He said, you were changed by the power of the gospel. We are identified with them. Those are the things that took place in our lives and allow us to move forward in practicing our position in Christ Jesus. People of the light are challenged to walk in the light. And so in chapter two, when Paul was challenging them to walk worthy of the God who called them into his kingdom, he is saying, you have been changed by Jesus Christ. Now live that way. Identify with Christ in your attitudes, your actions. Let him empower you. Let the spirit work in you to change you from the inside out. 
people of the light are to walk worthy. And then Paul gives some indication of how we should live in the light of the, the imminent return of Christ. We're to behave in a, in a godly way while we wait for the return of Christ. And he lays down three challenges. I like what one preacher said as he summarized these three. He said, it's, it's wake up, clean up, and dress up. We'll see that in verses 6, 7, and 8. The first one is wake up. This is what Paul says in verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Paul refers to the sleep metaphor. Now, we know that sleep refers to the person who lays their head on the pillow and goes to bed at night. In chapter 4, it referred to the body that was in the ground after death, that it was called asleep, those who are asleep in Christ. Paul actually brings in a different word for sleep here when he says, let us not sleep. It's a word that refer, refers to lethargy. And so in this context, we would think of spiritual lethargy. Or, or it might even give us a better visual to think of spiritually sleepwalking. Just going through the motions, if you will. We don't want to be those people who are lethargic spiritually, who take our relationship with Christ for granted, who try to do everything in our own strength, whether it's loving our neighbors or forgiving our family. We want to be a people who rely and are dependent upon Jesus Christ. We to be a people who are walking with him in the light. Paul says, don't sleep, wake up. He uses two words to describe how we ought to live. Be alert, make an effort to stay awake, and be sober. He's not strictly talking about drunkenness there. He's talking about being serious-minded, not grim and, and, and hopeless and humorless, but people who take life seriously. And that's what it requires if we're going to be intentional about walking with Jesus. We have to give thought to how we are relating to him. We have to give thought to the choices that we make. We have to give thought to the influences that we immerse ourselves in each day. And so Paul is saying, be alert, be sober, stay vigilant, take life seriously. Both of those words fight the urge to be self-indulgent. And so we are living in a season and a time where we want to reach beyond ourselves. We want to take advantage of opportunities because we are vigilant to look around us at those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. We want to bring light to the world. We want to bring the light of Jesus Christ and the glory of the gospel. And so we want to be those who touch our neighbors, and our friends and our colleagues and our classmates with the love of Jesus Christ. We want to bring his grace in ways that overwhelm them with just the unconditional love of God. We want to take advantage of opportunities. That's what people who are awake and vigilant, looking for opportunities, people who take life seriously do that. We want to walk worthy by taking up opportunities to serve others. Next, Paul warns of moral compromise. This is the cleanup version. Those who are in the dark do not wake up. They simply respond to the desires of the flesh. But for those who are in the light, there should not be moral compromise. Paul says this in verse 7, For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Sleep here is represented as indifference 
to Jesus Christ, indifference to the gospel. Drunkenness represented as instability. And these are natural to unbelievers because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But they are not to be natural to believers. They will become that way if we choose not to walk in loving obedience with Jesus Christ. And quite often, one day we walk worthy of Christ, and one day day we're sleepwalking with Christ. That's reality. We want to be more intentional to not allow moral compromise and to live in a way that honors Jesus Christ. The third characteristic is to dress up. He's going to say, put on that spiritual armor of faith, hope, and love. This beautiful triad was mentioned for the first time in chapter one. He talked about how much they were growing, how much they were practicing those qualities and and, and how much those characteristics and those virtues were showing up in their life. And now he reminds us and them to live out our faith, hope, and love. Verse eight, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Followers of Jesus then and now are to walk in faithfulness. So we are to walk with our eyes on Jesus. We're to walk keeping short accounts in sin. We're to walk getting to know him through his word and to spend time in prayer with him. We're to commune with him, to allow him to shape our lives. We're to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what that does is it allows us to experience freely the love of Christ. And when his love flows into us, then it can flow out to others. And we can keep those commands of loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And then he says, I want you to have hope. I want you to put on that helmet of salvation. I want you to have a clear mind where you're not fearful and and anxious about the fate of the earth or even what's going to happen in your life tomorrow, but that you are relaxed and able to focus on Jesus Christ as the one who guides you, as the one who offers you life, as the one who strengthens you and sustains you with his grace. That's where Paul is pointing us with faith, hope, and love. Wake up, clean up, dress up. Paul exhorts us to walk worthy of our Lord in light of his soon return. We want to make most of this time now to honor him, glorify him with our lives, and serve him as we reach out to others. So having reminded us of our position and our identity in Christ and exhorting us to practice that position, now Paul calls us to do it together. Verses 9 through 11, people of the light build each other up. People of the light are going to be people that work together as a church family, as we seek to impact this world around us. God has provided more insight into his end times plan here in chapters four and five. We don't know when, but we do know what is going to happen. The general layout, and more importantly, we are told to be sober and alert, to have no moral compromise to follow Jesus with faith, hope, and love, and to let that, to let our lives be known by those characteristics. Verses 9 to 11, he's going to tell us to do it together. Let's read verses 9 to 11. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. 
if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not destined for wrath. You are destined to live together with him for eternal life. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you will experience his joy and his greatness. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are destined for wrath. That is what Paul is letting us know here. And that wrath will be temporal during the seven years of tribulation here on earth. But that wrath will be eternal at the final judgment in a place called hell. That is where Paul is saying our destiny is. And it's our identity that determines our destiny. If we know Jesus as Savior, our identity is in Christ. And we will spend eternity with him. We will live together with him. That's the positive side. The negative side wrath for those who are not identified with Christ. The positive side is we will have full realization of our salvation. We will live out this great adventure of being in the presence of Christ and, and the new heavens and the new earth, what he has created for us that is far beyond all that we can imagine in our own finite minds. Your identity determines your destiny. If you know Jesus Christ, determined for glory with him. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ, it determined for the wrath of God, both on earth, destined for the wrath of God. I want you to note the grace here as well in verse 10. He says, whether you are awake or asleep, and I hope that you recognize what Paul is saying there. He's saying whether you are spiritually lethargic or whether you are fully in tune, walking worthy of the God who called you into his kingdom. He's speaking to those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I think it's phenomenal that God in his grace says, even if you're lethargic, even if you're walking worthy, you will come to be with Jesus Christ. It's one more small note of grace on all the weight of scripture that speaks about our eternal security. But I think it's just beautiful that he put it there. Think again, if you and I were to write that um, for our children or for children that you know, we would just say, hey, you better be awake when God comes. But God gives us that kind of grace throughout Scripture. In the final verse, Paul supplies an affirmation and, and a strong exhortation that's going to empower us to serve Jesus wholeheartedly to the end. Keep it going. He says in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Encourage one another. Build up each other. Keep doing what you are doing and, in fact, improve upon it. That's what Paul is, is, is saying here. He, he wants brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants the and church family to encourage one another in their lives and in their ministry and in their walks with Jesus Christ. And encouragement can be like a shot of adrenaline for people. It can be like a, a booster in your fuel that keeps you going. 
I've received a handful of cards this fall for pastor appreciation, and I know Matt and Chris have as well. And I want to thank the people for that, but I just want you to know that that type of affirmation just makes me want to keep going. That kind of affirmation excites me about the future. It is so awesome to hear what the Holy Spirit is doing in individuals' lives. It is so incredible to see God affirm you through another person, a brother and sister in Christ. And that's the kind of thing we want to be doing throughout the church family. We want to encourage each other. I hope you do that with the teachers of your children, with the sponsors of the student ministry. I hope you reach out and let them know how valued they are for the friends that pray for you, for the ones that sit around your tables in ABF. I hope you take the time to acknowledge that. I heard a great thing last week two weeks ago uh, about affirm, uh, affirming others and uh, building each other up. I think it applies. It says, when you're with people you love and birthdays are a good opportunity or anniversaries, it mentioned these two is just markers to have in your head. Use that opportunity to affirm someone. And this is what they said. Tell them what you would say at their funeral. Because they're not going to be around to hear that. But just let them know how much they mean to you. I think that's a great thing to, to apply in our lives. Paul says encourage. He says build each other up. Again, a note of grace. You are doing this, but here's the exhortation. Keep going. Give each other strength and courage. These are commands. They are not suggestions by Paul, and they are not options for living the Christian life. He says do this however creatively God leads you. And he uses a term of construction here, building a house. So start with that, that foundation of relational discipleship. And then whatever way you can, build the rest of the house and finish it out with notes of grace, with kind words, with kind actions. Speak to people, build each other up. We need that so that we can move forward. Sometimes we do it through words. Sometimes we do it through our example. Sometimes we do it through accountability. Sometimes through unconditional love. Paul's commands inform believers to push each other toward greater service. And so when he says encourage here, he's not saying comfort to one another. He's saying push each other forward in how you serve Jesus Christ. Such is our vision at Conroe Bible Church. We don't simply want wonderful programs and, and a loving body just for good optics. We, we don't want to look good in front of our community. We want to see changed hearts. We want to see transformed hearts. We want to see everyone changed by the transforming love of Jesus Christ. And we need all of us to do that. All of us pushing in the same direction. All of us encouraging and building up one another to be able to accomplish that. We want to let the world know about Jesus Christ so that they can avoid the day of the Lord, which is coming. That's our calling. When Jesus says, go out and make disciples, when he says, go out and be my witnesses, he's saying, tell, me, tell them about me. Give them the gospel. Share my love. Help them avoid the wrath that is to come. When the gospel takes root in our lives, we walk in the light. Paul referred to the day of the Lord. It was something that was known through the Old Testament. And he didn't tell when that was coming. 
but he let us know how to live in light of that. There is a doomsday clock that God has set in his plan. And it's going to unleash his wrath on the earth. And it's going to unleash his wrath for all eternity on those who don't know Jesus Christ. And it is our mission, recognizing that we are identified with Christ, to walk worthy of him and to let a lost and broken world know about Jesus Christ. To be filled with grace and truth. To be transparent in our healing. To take that into the world around us with great joy and vigor. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for passages like this that are hard to consider and think about when we think about the future and we think about your wrath. But we thank you that your grace is woven throughout, that you offer life to all who believe in you, all who trust you, receive the free gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that our lives don't end simply by receiving you as our Savior, but that you enter our lives to lead us and to guide us, to heal us, to carry us forward, to sustain us by your grace. And we ask, Lord, that we would not take any of that for granted, but that we would be vigilant and take life seriously and our relationships seriously, willing to boldly and lovingly share the gospel with those around us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can stand and sing. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give.
For your mercy never fails me In all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God
so that your life points to the goodness of God and the love of Christ would overwhelm you and the world around you would see and know that he is good. So grace, peace, joy in Jesus name. Take a lot.